Welcome to the Hidden Archives. I am your host, Nicole Clark. As promised, we have another shorter story for you this week. We are curious what you think of the shorter stories, so if you would like to offer your opinion, feel free to message us on Facebook at Hidden Archives Podcast or tweet at us at Podcast Hidden. I just want to encourage you to interact because this allows us to engage with you and make both your experience with the show and the stories themselves even better. To meet the expectations we set last week, you may expect another new story next week. After that, we will return to our normal release schedule. Anne Rice has provided tonight's bit of wisdom in the following quote. Go where the pain is, go where the pleasure is. So, to ensure that you get the most pleasure from the pain we intend to provide, I suggest you heed the following warning. If you choose to enter the hidden archives, if you choose to study the tomes, if you choose to take this journey with me, you do so at your own risk. Profanity and disturbing content may follow. This is your warning. Death is the final hurdle that everyone must face. Philosophies and religions the world over have tried to provide ways to make peace with this reality, but many people still wonder if death is the end or if there's something else. This existential crisis may drive people to extremes to either avoid death or live on in some other way. Tonight's story may provide some information, though not actually any instruction, on an alternative. Four twenty-five a.m. Professor Casey Edwards arrived on a stretcher at the local emergency room with severe head trauma. He was unresponsive and in critical condition. It didn't seem like he would survive. A medical bracelet on his left wrist indicated that he was not to be administered any medication under any circumstances. It also instructed doctors to call his lawyer in the event of any accident or traumatic event such as this. 4.48 a.m. Dr. Edwards' vitals started fading. Physicians took what life-saving measures they could, but his condition continued to decline rapidly. Hospital administrators could not contact his lawyer. A simple answering machine at the other end of the line merely stated, Leave a callback number and name. Physicians continued to do what they could. That, and they waited. 4.49 a.m. Dr. Edwards was beyond critical. His heart stopped, and time of death was declared. Before the medical staff could clear out and make preparations for the deceased, a member of the hospital's legal staff ran into the room. He breathed heavily, yellow sweat staining the collar of his white shirt, where his blue silk tie had been loosened. It was clear that his business was urgent as he had run down two flights of stairs and through countless corridors to reach Casey's room. He waved a manila envelope full of papers as he hunched over to catch his breath. He was just barely able to manage, between labored breaths, to say, Keep him warm! He's a donor! One of the several doctors standing around said, I'm sorry, but 
he can't donate. Anything valuable was too damaged by the life-saving procedures we had to use. Well, these papers change that, said the balding little man in the sweaty shirt. Oh, yeah? Look, crossed eyes and dotted T's don't change shit. His organs are barely even functioning. He's done. You don't understand. We got a call back from his lawyer. This isn't just some legal notice. This is his will. His will? But we just declared time of death. No one outside of my ER even knows he's dead. What the hell is going on here? The doctor was becoming irate and confused. Yes, his will. It seems as though Dr. Edward's lawyer knew what had happened. He knew that his organs were going to be damaged. I don't know how he knows. But the will clearly states that Dr. Edward's organs, all of them, are to go to terminally ill individuals who don't otherwise qualify for a transplant. With the recipient's consent, of course. Is this a joke? That can't be legal by any stretch of the imagination. Well, apparently it is. Now keep him going. Warm him back up. The doctor turned the machines back on and muttered under her breath. <sighs> Fucking bullshit. 5.30 a.m. The hospital's administrative and legal staff started collecting information and getting consent forms signed by patients. Families were overjoyed that their previously terminally ill loved ones do get a second chance. Surgeries and operations were already commencing. All of Casey's vital organs, heart, liver, kidneys, lungs, and so on, were taken. Even most of his non-vital organs, skin, eyes, tendons, and several bones, were distributed to some very lucky and gracious individuals. It wasn't long before Dr. Casey Edwards was nothing more than the name of a savior. The doctors didn't think it possible, but everyone who received a transplant from Casey was doing well. They were all healthy and making quick recoveries. About four months after Casey arrived at the emergency room, Al Temwick was feeling better than he had in years. Al was the lucky person that received Casey's heart. He knew that Casey was the only reason he was alive today, so he vowed to take care of his newly revitalized body, lest Casey's sacrifice be in vain. Part of Al's plan was to exercise. So soon after a heart transplant, though, there was nothing much he could do but take it easy. Still, he knew he could walk. So he did. Al was religious about walking around his block every evening at about dusk. Fresh air and exercise were the best medicine he could think of. One night, Al left for his walk as usual. His wife, Teresa, watched him from the kitchen window as he strolled past the mailbox and around the corner. Just a few months ago, she would have thought this impossible, to watch her beloved husband walking around outside. In fact, before Casey had saved her one and only, she honestly thought the next time she would see Al leave their home, he would be in the back of a hearse. Every day, Al was getting stronger. He enjoyed being active again, and he knew that what you put into your health, you get out of it. With this in mind, 
he kept increasing the length of his walks by a little more each day. Teresa knew this. But one day, he seemed to take a little too long getting home. It was getting dark, and Teresa was getting worried. She hoped that Al was just talking to a neighbor or testing his limits. But, as the sun sank below the tree line, she knew something was wrong. She called every neighbor to see if they had noticed Al. But none of them had even so much as seen him. Teresa was now panicked. She had called the hospitals, but Al wasn't at any of them. She called the police. However, they said they hadn't seen anything, but were doing all they could. So she sat alone in her living room, gently weeping and waiting for the phone to ring with some news, any news. But as the clock on the mantel toned midnight, Teresa knew that Al was gone for good. Gordon Fox had been a smoker for 30 or so years. He picked up the habit as a pilot in the military because some of his buddies from flight training claimed that it made you a better pilot. They said that training your body to use as little oxygen as possible would give you an edge during high altitude and high G-force maneuvers. However, all it did for Captain Gordon Fox was give him lung cancer. Captain Fox was one of the many people that Dr. Edwards was able to save. Gordon actually got both of Casey's lungs. For him, it was literally a new breath of life. His recovery was extraordinarily quick. In fact, it was only a couple of months before he was back in the air. Of course, his military career was long over, but he still managed to relive the thrills of flying in a tiny personal plane, despite all of his doctor's advice. Flying was Gordon's only love. He was a man with a new lease on life, and no family to hold him back. He was going to enjoy every minute from here on out. So he planned a trip to Jamaica, and he would fly there on his own. Gordon felt almost giddy as he taxied onto the runway. He got the go-ahead from the control tower and cranked up the engines. The plane picked up speed, and as the wheels left the tarmac, Gordon thought to himself, this time tomorrow, I'll be on a beach in Jamaica. But his plane never landed. They lost track of it on radar before it even left the coast. No one found any wreckage, and no plane crash was ever reported. Gordon's plane just simply vanished over solid ground. It seemed like everyone who had received a transplant from Dr. Casey Edwards was vanishing. Even those who only got a small skin graft were walking off, never to be seen again. No one could explain it. The doctors did start to notice the trend with help from certain law enforcement agencies, but by the time they realized exactly what was going on, it was too late. The last transplant recipient had vanished. There seemed to be no explanation. They checked for genetic markers, proteins, and microbes that might explain it, but no disease was found that could have been transmitted from Casey to over 50 different people. 
Authorities tried contacting Dr. Edwards' lawyer for answers, but they only got the answering machine. Leave a callback number and name. They tried tracing the call, but they could only narrow down the location to a large region in the Canadian wilderness. They searched desperately for anything, but every rock they turned over only seemed to reveal more rocks. Seven months and three days after Dr. Casey Edwards arrived at the ER. 6.06 p.m. Morgan Waters, a recovering drug addict and mother of two with a new liver, stepped barefoot onto a six-by-six-meter concrete slab in the middle of a heavily wooded area just outside the Arctic Circle. She was still wearing the pale green hospital gown she had on the day that she disappeared during routine post-transplant procedure. The edges of the gown were tattered and frayed as they snapped in the icy wind. She looked around, dazed and entranced, as she waited for something to happen. Finally, there was a heavy-sounding clunk and the center of the concrete platform opened to reveal a deteriorating steel staircase that spiraled deep underground. Morgan walked down the stairs, her gaze never wandering, her blank stare never faltering. She instinctively turned left as she reached the bottom. There was a large open chamber before her. The surrounding walls were dark, but a bright light shone down from the center of the ceiling. There were about 50 or so people, all different and all entranced, standing around the perimeter of the light. She joined them. The man that Morgan stood next to was wearing a leather jacket and aviator glasses that were missing the lens over the left eye. He, like everyone else there, had walked through thick frozen forest and miles of wilderness to gather around the light. In the center of the ring of people and light, Morgan could see seven strange symbols painted on the floor. They looked like runes. There, in the very center, was a pool filled with blood. From somewhere in the distance, a phone rang. There was no answer, but Morgan heard a recorded voice say, Leave a callback name and number. The man in the jacket and aviator glasses turned to Morgan and said, in a monotone voice, the type of deep gravelly voice that obviously belonged to a longtime smoker. Dr. Casey must live again. The circle will make this happen. You are the final member. We've all come to gather his pieces. I think the most surreal part of this story is the suggestion that someone still uses an answering machine. Of all the strange things I have come across in the archives, this is the most unbelievable. We'd like to thank you all for joining us once again, and we look forward to joining you next time. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. There are many more stories from the Hidden Archives that have yet to be shared. 
We hope that you join us next time for another Glimpse Within. This has been a production of the Rhodes Collaborative Experience, LLC. Please no reproduction, duplication, or bastardization of any content without written consent from RCX or its partners. Ex Animo, Ex Tempus, and Archivum. <laughs>